If you're new to us as a church, know that we, uh, that our bread and butter, what we do is we walk through books of the Bible. We preach and teach through books of the Bible. And so this morning in Genesis 22, um, we are going to see a number of things this morning. Maybe if you grew up in the church and you're familiar with the Bible, you'll remember or maybe remember portions of this scripture. This is Genesis chapter two, 22, where um, we see this text where God asked for Abraham to sacrifice his beloved son Isaac. I think there's many things in this text that we have to see this morning, but if I had to put it in a sentence, I'd say this. We grow in faith as we trust and obey God with the things most precious to us. We grow in faith as we trust God and obey God with the things most precious to us. The three things that we're going to see this this morning and the main movements of this text are, number one, God's test in the first two verses to Abraham's obedience in verses 3 through 10, and then finally, God's response in the remaining verses. So if you're already there, God's very word to us this morning speaks to us just like this in Genesis chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go into the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall tell you. Let's stop there for now. Notice at the beginning of this passage, we are given a note that Abraham does not get. Look at the beginning, verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham. Tested it. We are told that this is a test. We are told at the beginning of this story to kind of prepare us a little bit. It's kind of a dear reader from the, the author of this story. This is a test. This is what God is doing here. And it's also, we're called to remember, after all of these things, we're called to remember, not just to, to just parachute into this passage of Scripture and take it on its own, we're to remember everything that just happened in the story up to this point. We're to remember the initial call of Abraham. Go into the land I'm going to show you, right? This text sounds really familiar to that, right? Just go, I'll show you the way. We're also to remember Abraham's initial obedience, that he goes through the land, he sets up altars, it looks like he's doing well, but then he stumbles, he falls. What does he do? He gets to the land of Egypt, he goes to the place of easy pickings, where he thinks that, oh, I'm going to find a new way for myself, but he's scared and he's alone, and what does he do? He gives up his wife to Pharaoh, say you're my, my brother, and from there on, there's this continual pattern of Abraham. He gets it right some of the times, but more often than not, he's getting it wrong. He's blowing it. He's, he's not obeying. He's not trusting the promise of God. We see Abraham blow it again and again and again. So after these things, God tests Abraham. Let's see what happens next in verse 3. Verse 3 tells us, So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose. He went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. 
Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. He took in his hand the fire and the knife. And they both, they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. And when they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in, in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Stop there. In this we see the initial obedience from Abraham. He, he really does obey here. We don't have balking Abraham. We don't have an Abraham asking God or complaining or anything else. We have a silent Abraham obeying the word of God. Unlike other stories, Abraham doesn't argue. And the fact that we're told that Abraham doesn't speak at all here speaks in and of itself. This is meant to remind us of that initial trust of Abraham, like in the beginning of his story. When God first spoke to him, telling him to leave the land of Ur and go to the place which God had told him, this is a radical obedience to God at his bare word. We wonder in this moment, do we not? What is Abraham thinking at this time? Like, Abraham's a real human. He's not just some figure in a story. He's a real person. So we would think things like this at this moment. God, what's the point of this? I thought this son was going to be the one in whom the promise was going to come through. How does this make sense? How does this fit into the plan? Aren't you against human sacrifice? Are you unlike the other pagan gods who demands the blood of sons and daughters? See, unfortunately for us, we aren't given these answers at this point in the story. Instead, we are given the example of Abraham's silent obedience. I think most of us can relate with this. We have all been through seasons where we have walked through things and we don't understand. We don't understand. We ask those questions in our own heart. Why? How does this fit in? Why is this happening? If God really is in control and everything's supposed to be for his glory, why is this happening to me? Why is God letting me walk through this? We can be encouraged by the faith and example of Abraham here, who chose to trust and obey in the face of an impossible command from God. Not only does Abraham go where God tells him to go, he does what God commands him to do. He climbs the mountain that God commands him to climb. Just imagine this. This is a 100-year-old Abraham. He's got two servants with him. He's got a donkey with him. And what does he do when he gets to the top of the mountain? He leaves the servants and the donkey behind. At the point, I'd be like, let me get on top of that donkey and ride it to the top of the mountain. He says, let me take my old, like, you know, 
cracking, popping knees all the way up to the top of the mountain. Let me lay the wood on my son's back, right? Well, this week at the elder retreat, we sat in some rickety old chairs. That, and like my back hurts. I sat with a heating pad on my back this morning because like I'm an old man now at 32. And Abraham's willing to climb the mountain by himself on his own knees, right? It feels like I got hit in the back with like a hammer this morning. But not Abraham. He's not complaining. He climbs the mountain with his son. Abraham carrying the very fire that would presumably consume the flesh of his son and Isaac carrying the wood on his back that he would be sacrificed on. Like a condemned man. You imagine him. You can't imagine him just sweating under the weight of all that wood enough. Just think, enough wood to burn his flesh on the altar. I know that's graphic. Don't miss it. Notice that even when Abraham says this in verse 5, look at verse 5. Then Abraham says to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back again to you. In this statement, this, is, this isn't Abraham trying to be shady like he used to be in his old nature, telling a half-truth here. He, I think believe him, is, Abraham is speaking with a bold hope that God is truly about to do the impossible by bringing them both back after this act of worship. God knows. I mean, Abraham knows what God has commanded him to do, but Abraham is ready to see God do the absolute miraculous here as he is obedient. See, before I study this passage, it's never really dawned on me to consider the fact that Isaac had to be a willing, if not just trusting, sacrifice. Just think about this. Isaac's younger, probably stronger. Shoot, he can just run away. <laughs> Abraham ain't running too fast at 100, you know? But what, what happens here? He doesn't overpower or run away from his fragile old father, but we're not told of a struggle or a fight. We're just told that Abraham bound Isaac. He bound Isaac, his beloved son. He had waited years for this boy. Think of the, the sleepless nights and the tears that him and Sarah had spent waiting for this promise of a boy. Some of us here in this room know these nights. We know this level of suffering, waiting for God to bring the promise about, the thing that we've hoped for, longed for about. We see in Isaac a silent trust in his father. It reminds me of Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 says, He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened, not his mouth. Then we are told in verse 10, Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son. This is, a, this is supposed to make our stomachs churn. This is supposed to give us pause. What must have been going through Abraham's head? Thankfully, here, we don't have to wonder. Hebrews 11 tells us this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. 
And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was even able to raise from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So what was God's response to such faith and obedience in Abraham? Look at verse 11. This is how God responds. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He says, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram, offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. God's response does not stop here. Look at verse 15. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, And if not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And in your offspring shall all, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned his young men. They arose and went to Beersheba, and Abraham lived in Beersheba. God responds here in three distinct ways. God intervenes, God provides, and God blesses here. This act of obedience was clear from Abraham. We're meant to see and believe that this act is almost miraculous, This level of obedience from Abraham, it just seems different. It seems like something beyond Abraham's own capacity. He trusted that God, even when it meant the death of his own son, with his own hands. Goodness. God was able and faithful to stay his hand. God calls to him with urgency. I don't know if you noticed this, but even in the translations of all of our Bibles, there's an exclamation point at the end of Abraham. God is shouting from heaven to Abraham here. There is no mistake that God's intentions are finally revealed here. Remember, this is a test. He is not like the pagan devil gods that would demand human sacrifice. He ensures this boy's safety. He ensures that there would be no harm done to Isaac by Abraham. Also remember, whenever Abraham hears his name called aloud, what is he actually hearing? He's hearing his own identity spoken over him every time he hears his name. Abraham means father of a multitude of nations. So when God speaks to Abraham, he's just not calling him by his name. That just is meaningless. He's calling him by his name that marks his identity. Father of many nations. Father of many nations. The promise which I spoke to you about your son shall surely be fulfilled. He is speaking this identity over him. We are told that this is a test. 
and it had purpose in verse 12. Look at verse 12 again. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Remember, Isaac had been the culmination of the promise to childless Abraham and Sarah for so long. And in their waiting for so long, Isaac, God, God needed to test. He needed to purge from their heart this idolatrous mistake of worshiping that boy as the gift rather than God as the gift giver. How many of us, no doubt, have been tested like this before? How many of us are being tested right now with this? You finally get the job you always wanted, right? But then you get laid off. You finally get the house you've always dreamed of, but it is the central and major point of contention in your marriage. You, you endure years of hardship. You finally have a baby, and then you're tempted to worship your kids above God himself. God in this story is showing us that his gifts can often consume us. God's gifts can often rule us. They can cause us to lose our fear of God, thinking now that we have what we want, we don't need God any longer. May it not be so for us. May we trust God with the things most precious to us. May we hold the gifts that we are given with an open hand. And church, this is the way that we grow in faith. We trust and obey God with the things most precious to us. We hold those things with open hands. Abraham in this story trusts and obeys God with a miraculous level of faith. Again, let's remember, this is the guy who blows it constantly. This is the guy that gets it wrong. See, we're tempted to, to just ask, how did he do it? Where's the secret sauce? How do we just be like Abraham here? It'd be easy for us to just leave this here and just leave this sermon, go be like Abraham. Trust God. And that's a good and right thing to say, but this story has a greater point. This story is supposed to point beyond itself and create in us a longing for one who would come and act in perfect trust and obedience. The one that would come to reverse the curse of death. The one who would come and pass through death in obedience to the will of God to break the power of sin over us forever. Who would grant us ultimate blessing. See, in the crescendo of this story, God says, he stays Abraham's hand from harming the boy and provides a ram caught in a thicket as a substitutionary sacrifice. Mark this. God still requires a sacrifice in this story. They don't walk off the mountain without shedding blood. This is where it gets so good. This is where we just get to center in on how Jesus fulfills all of these promises. If we look back through this story, we can see that this, is, this story is absolutely riddled with hyperlinks forward to the story of Jesus. And if you, don't know it, if you don't know this Jesus, let me tell you about him. Jesus is God incarnate. He is the God-man come to us. He is God stepping down into human flesh, being born as a baby. Jesus is the son of the promise who was miraculously born to a virgin named Mary. 
You think that a hundred-year-old woman having birth is miraculous? How about a woman who's a virgin giving birth to a baby? This is the promise of Jesus. Where we are amazed that Abraham obeys God's word just this once, think about a man who walks in perfect obedience to God's word. Jesus never sinned. He walked blamelessly before God. Like Isaac, Jesus is the obedient son who, compared, who carried the wood of his own cross, of his, the own means of his own sacrifice up the mountain of history, up to the hill of Golgotha. Jesus carries this cross on his back. Jesus would endure the fiery, the fire of suffering in our place. Just as Abraham carried the fire up the mountain, knowing what was about to happen, Jesus endures in his own flesh the suffering that we endure for sin. He was bound. He was beaten. He was crucified in our place. Jesus was and is the sacrificial lamb for us, provided at the will of God on the cross for us. And Jesus not only died in our place, he fulfills the promise of resurrection that Abraham hoped for. This promise in Isaac, that was just a hope, just a dream that was diverted because of this ram. Jesus actualizes on this, passes through death, and shows his defeat and victory over sin for all time. This is the God that we worship. This is the miraculous movement and crescendo of all of history. He is the God who provides. On this mountain, the Lord has provided, and that mountain is the faithfulness of God. And on that mountain, we are provided, Jesus, everything that we need. Jesus is the ultimate gift to all of us. He provides not only for us a way through our sin and suffering and shame, but then even through his sacrificial death, he grants us a relationship, a new identity with him. In the same way that Abraham was spoken over his identity, God, the voice of God from heaven, Father of many nations, Father of many nations, because of the work of Jesus, we are grafted into the promises of God. And what God speaks over us is the same words he spoke over Jesus at his baptism. When the sky parted and the Spirit descended on Jesus, God speaks these words over Jesus. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Through the work of Jesus, God speaks those same words over us. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. We have hope of the promise because of what Jesus has done. Through the perfect obedience of Jesus like Isaac, we are brought back safe. Brought back safe with the very blessing of God upon us instead of righteous judgment. These are the words a blessing spoken over Abraham. Look at verse 16 again. God does something unique here. He says this, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. He swears by himself. Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. See, where we fail to trust and obey the voice of God, Jesus stands in our place having trusted and obeyed 
perfectly in our place. I guarantee you, there are many of us here this morning that feel like we don't deserve the blessings of God. We don't. We know the state of our own souls. We know the weight of our own sin. And we wrongly believe that because of the things that we've done, we could never be granted the promises of God. They're too good. They're too wild. They're too outlandish. Real forgiveness for my sin? Real grafting into the promises of God? Like the granting of the blessing of God upon my life? No way. But because the good news of Jesus, it is not our deserving of these promises. It is what Jesus gets what he deserves of these promises and welcomes us to the table with them. Just like Isaac is brought through safe, Jesus brings us safe through. And these promises will never fade. They have been guaranteed by God himself. See, this morning, whether you are faithfully holding the most precious things that you've been given in God with an open hand, or whether you're struggling to believe the promises of God at all, you are met with the promise of Jesus for you. I want to invite you to do something we don't normally do here. I want you to bow your head, and I'm going to read these words from Romans 5 over you. And I just want you to listen to these words. Listen to the promise of the gospel for you this morning. Believe this, church. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. No more war. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We stand in this grace. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been, has been, God's love has been poured into your hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Church, let's pray. Jesus, you can be trusted. Because of your faithfulness, shown throughout all the saints, throughout all history, through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, through these stories that we set in, that we consider together, through these stories that, we, that communicate your character, God, you can be trusted. Through the hardest things in our life, with the greatest gifts in our life, you can be trusted with those things. We don't have to cling to those things and claim ownership of those things that are in our life that we think we are entitled to. God, because we rightly know you, we rightly know our standing before you as beloved sons, as precious daughters of you, God. 
We can trust you with everything in our lives. God, may we offer ourselves before you as our spiritual act of worship this morning. May we throw ourselves upon the altar and say, Jesus, you're worth everything. My entire life, may I surrender it all before you. You truly are worth it, God. For those struggling to believe this morning, I pray, would you grant faith, miraculous, supernatural faith like you gave Abraham to obey like this. Lord, would you make it so. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.